So yeah, I'm Andy. I'm a small group leader here at River City Church. Uh, my wife is Steph, uh, so she was the one singing up here before. Um, yeah, we have a seven-month-old uh, little girl named Ruby. Uh, she's uh, not here this morning, actually. We, uh, we just bought a house a few weeks ago, and we're getting ready to like fix everything up and, uh, and move into it on Wednesday. So uh, my, my parents offered to take her for uh, a few days, which has been like surprisingly really, really great. Um, yeah, so we, uh, like Steph jokingly told me that she like traded her for like five lawn chairs and a chainsaw, and I was like, that's a good deal. So, yeah, so uh, this morning we're going to be talking a little bit about like the, the helplessness and inability of mankind, so as like a first-time new homeowner, like I feel like I have a lot more to bring to that conversation now. Um, yeah, so we're going to be in Genesis 15 this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at God's covenant with Abram. Um, so this is actually like my favorite passage in the Old Testament. Like when I heard we we're going to be doing a series on like like Jesus in the Old Testament, the gospel in the Old Testament, like I got really excited about like, man, like if I get to preach in this series, like that's the one I want to preach on. So I'm just really excited for the opportunity to preach this morning and get to preach on this passage, which is just like means a ton to me. And um, yeah, I just really like it because I think it's, it's really weird. And on the surface of it, it's like it doesn't make a whole ton of sense or it's hard to like figure out exactly what's going on. But I think like as we dig deeper, I hope that you'll see the significance and the beauty of like what's really going on here. And um, yeah, I just honestly believe that like what's happening in this chapter is one of the most important and meaningful and significant events in like the entire Old Testament. So yeah, before we get started, uh, let's just pray really quick. Um, yeah, God, I just like pray that you would, uh, you would just bring clarity this morning uh, to me and, and to everyone here that you would just like prepare my heart and prepare their hearts for like what, what you want to do. Um, yeah, I just like pray that, uh, that your words would be the ones that are spoken this morning and not my own. And uh, yeah, anything, anything good that I have to say that that would be heard and anything that's not good, that that would be quickly forgotten or not said at all. So yeah, we just like thank you that you're in control of everything and uh, yeah, that you're really great and you give us, uh, give us a lot to, to talk about. So yeah, amen. All right, so uh, for the sake of my sanity, uh, like in, the, in Genesis, like we meet this guy named Abram. Later, his name becomes Abraham. His wife is Sarai. Later, it becomes Sarah. So I'm just going to like refer to them kind of inter- like Abram and Abraham is kind of, I'm just going to use that kind of interchangeably and same thing with Sarah. Um, so uh, the name change doesn't actually happen until after this passage. But if I say Abraham or if I say Sarah, I'm talking about the same people. Um, so up until this point uh, in in Genesis, mankind's interactions with God uh, have been going pretty terribly so far. Uh, so, like the beginning, like God creates mankind; He creates them to be in perfect relationship with Him. And uh, but by chapter three, we see sin and corruption have entered the world. And then, like the very next chapter, we have our first murder. Um, yeah, by chapter six, like it says that God is profoundly disturbed by the state of mankind. Like Genesis six uh, says the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil, was only evil all of the time. The Lord regretted ever, or the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So God then destroys the whole world except for a single family and he starts over, but like hitting reset doesn't really seem to fix the issue of like the world being corrupt. Um, like one chapter later, getting like one chapter after getting off the boat, like Noah then curses his sons, um, and like or curses one of his sons and disowns him and makes him like a slave to his other two sons, which is like really messed up. Um, yeah, and then chapter eleven we have Babel or Babel, like and it's like this this group of people who are just like hell bent on making a name for themselves, and they decide like 
They say, like, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us prove how capable we are. And they decide to build this big tower uh, to just, like, tower over the nation. And, uh, like, it says that, like, God couldn't see their tower and had to come down. Um, yeah, and he saw that they were, like, on a path of self-destruction. And, and so he confuses their language and he spreads them out. And, yeah, so it's out of the dust of Babel then that we meet Abram. And Abram is one of the most important people to ever live. Like, Galatians 3, uh, Paul says he, like, the gospel was first preached to Abram. Um, he calls him the man of faith. And uh, in Matthew 1, uh, Peter, Peter says that uh, Abram is the father of all Jews, and that's including Jesus. Like, he lays out this whole lineage of how Jesus is coming from Abraham. And then Romans 4, uh, it says that he's the father of all believers as well. So not just of Jews, but of all people who, who are believers. So Abram is, is a patriarch, and what that means is he's uh, a man through who uh, like a new way of life comes, like a new way of thinking comes, and, and uh, ultimately a new nation comes. Um, but when we meet him, he's just some guy. Like, we don't know anything, we don't know much about him. We know that there's not really anything special about him. Like, we know he's just, it, it just says that he's a Babylonian, and he's from Ur of the Chaldeans, which sounds lovely. Like, Ur really rolls off the tongue. I bet it was like a big, like, resort town. Uh, we know almost nothing about Ur. Like, historians know that it was probably in Mesopotamia. That's about as far as they've gotten. But uh, it just says that he's from there, and now he's living in a town called Haran. So his family were Gentiles who worshipped idols, and they worshipped made-up gods. And, like, he was born into a screwed-up family in a remote pagan city. So this is Abram. He's an old dude, it says. Like, he's, like, in his 70s. He doesn't have any kids. He doesn't have any descendants. He's got a wife, and it says that she's really good-looking, so that's nice. Uh, but she can't have kids, and so that's an issue. So, like, Abram is a man who's completely incapable of making a name for himself. Like, remember, he's from Babylon. Like, these are the people from Babel. Like, he's from a nation of people who are hell-bent on making a name for themselves, right? And he can't have kids. Like, he has no, one to cre- no way to create a legacy for himself. And, and back in this time, like, that is the way that you made a name for yourself, but he doesn't come from a big and powerful family. Like, it doesn't look like anybody's going to come after him. Like, he's not a local leader. We don't know if he has, like, a single redeeming skill. Like, the most profound thing about Abraham is how unprofound he is. But God calls Abraham, and we don't really know why. Like, because, like, when God calls Noah in Genesis 6, it's prefaced that, like, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And then, like, God says to Noah, here, do this, build this boat. But, like, when God calls Abraham, all we get is, the Lord said to Abram. Like, that's all we get. It doesn't say that Abram was a righteous man or a faithful man. Like, spoiler alert, he's definitely not. Um, It doesn't say he's a wise man or that he's respected or revered. Like, it just says Abraham was some dude from a small town nobody had ever heard of. He had a lifetime of bad theology and a hot wife. Like, that's what we know about Abraham. But God calls Abraham. So Genesis 12 is the, uh, the calling of Abraham. Uh, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him, 
Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So God is offering Abram a name. He says, I'm going to make your name great. And that's, that's really significant here. See, Abram, though, he's being asked to leave his family and his inheritance and his livelihood. Like, in this culture, you didn't just go move cities like, like you do today. Like, you, you stayed where you were because that's where your livelihood was. That's where your family was. That's, that's where your farm was. That's where your farm hands were. Like, and so he's being asked to leave that. Like, that's his very livelihood and his security. And, and he's being asked to establish a new humanity, which is, like, a hilariously bold request. Like, Abraham hasn't even fathered a child, and now God is, like, asking him to father a nation, right? Like, it's as if, like, the U.S. Olympic Committee, like, decided to call me up and tell me that they wanted me to, like, represent the U.S. in, like, the decathlon in the next Olympics. Like, that's a really bad choice, right? Like, I don't even know what the events are in a decathlon. Like, I think a lot of them are running, but, like, that's not good. Like, <laughs> running's the punishment if you're not good at other sports. Like, yeah. I think, like, if I had to do the pole vault, I'd probably die. Like, I get exhausted just watching American Ninja Warrior. Yeah, like, Abraham is deeply inadequate for what he's being asked to do. Like, but God calls Abraham anyway. And Abraham says yes, like, he goes. And that's, that's really great. Like, I think that's something to be admired, that he, he takes, like, this really bold step. I mean, like, the God of the universe is asking him. Like, he's hearing God talk to him. So that's, like... We should take that into account. Um, so, but he goes. Like, he takes Sarah and his farmhands, and he takes his nephew Lot, who was kind of like orphaned, so he kind of adopted him. So he's kind of like his adopted son at this point. Um, yeah, we have a map, actually, the route they take. Uh, so they head out for Canaan, which is where God tells them to go. So they leave from Haran. Uh, the, the, the dotted line is a route he might have taken. It's the solid line that he probably took. Um, it says they go to Shechem, and then... God tells him that he's going to give him that land in Shechem. And so that's like that area that's down on the, the lower left. Um, yeah, and so he just goes around this area, and he's planting these little rock piles, these little altars, and he's telling people about God. Um, and that's basically just what he does for, for years. Like, he just goes around building these little rock piles. Um, but he's obedient in that. Like, that's what God has asked him to do at that point. And everything seems to be going okay. Like, Abraham has responded to God in faith. Uh, yeah, so like the moral of the story is that we should all work hard to be like Abram, right? But like that takes a twist very quickly because we see in Genesis 12, uh, starting in verse 10, we see that there's a famine that, that comes out. So things aren't okay anymore. It says, uh, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, uh, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So at the first point of difficulty, Abram bails. Like, God has promised that Abram will be blessed, that he'll be protected, and Abram believed him when things were going really well, like, but it seems like his initial excitement is kind of worn off. It seems like when life got complicated, he started to forget. Um, so a famine hits, and Abram starts to worry, and he thinks, like, we're going to starve if we stay here. Why should we stay here in Canaan when Egypt, or things in Egypt are going so well? Like, God, you say you want me to be blessed, so like, let's just bless me over there. Um, yeah, and he thinks, like, maybe Egypt will be my provider, or maybe I'll provide for myself. Uh, so he arrives in Egypt, and he's scared for his safety, it says, and 
It's like, oh man, Sarah's really good looking. Like, and so he fabricates a lie. He's like, Sarah, say you're my sister. Uh, he offers basically to let Pharaoh sleep with his wife uh, in exchange for his own safety, and he gets like some livestock out of it. Um, which, like, as a husband, like, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of experience in marriage, but like, I would, I, I think I have enough to say, like, that's not a good move, right? As a husband, is to like, basically just like trade your wife for some animals. Um, yeah, and so like, but God comes and He intervenes. So Abram has, uh, he's basically abandoned his calling, but God hasn't abandoned Abram. Uh, he inflicts Pharaoh's household with a plague, uh, which sounds familiar because that's going to happen again later. Um, and Pharaoh figures out what's going on. He basically just kicks them all out of Egypt. Um, yeah. So outside of Egypt then, like Abram and Lot get into an argument because I think Lot probably liked what life was like back in Egypt and now Abram's going back to Canaan and uh, they just decide to go their separate ways. So this whole region, like, it's not like they're just in a single country. This whole region at the time, there was just like these little cities and these little kingdoms and there was these just dozens of kings that were constantly warring with each other. And so a war breaks out between like these nine kings. And in the, like, just in the, in the midst of all that, like Lot gets captured. Um, and so Abram then goes and gets like 300 guys together and they go like on this nighttime like, like op mission or whatever to go like rescue Lot and they do that. Um, and so that's kind of like how we get into Genesis 15. Like tensions are really high. It's been about a decade since Abraham first heard from God and now in Genesis 15, God speaks to Abram again. So uh, Genesis 15 says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Elizur of Damascus. And then Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So God is, is recentering Abraham on on what he, like the calling that he's given him. He's saying like, I'm with you, I've got you. He says like, I am your shield, your very great reward. Like, that's really encouraging, right? But Abram at this point, like, he's tired. He's impatient. Like, he's just kind of, like, fed up with what's going on. He's thinking, like, my life isn't any better now than it was back in, in, uh, in Ur. He doesn't have any land of his own yet. He doesn't have any kids. Like, his nephew Lot, uh, who he was hoping would succeed him, is he's off in Sodom doing his own thing. Um, yeah, like, Abram's been promised these things, and they haven't happened. He's not just saying, like, he's unsure of what he should do next. Like, he's saying to God, like, how can I know that you're going to deliver on this? Like, it's like saying, God, you say you're going to bless me, and you're going to make me into a great nation. You're going to make my name great, and you're going to bless the whole world through me. But how can I believe you? Like, like Abraham has his doubts. And if I'm God, like, I'd respond, like, how dare you? Like, who do you think you're talking to? Like, who are you to say the creator of the universe like you haven't provided for me? Like, who do you think got you out of that mess you made in Egypt? If I'm God, that's what I say, right? Like, I just like slap him down. But, uh, but God doesn't respond with anger here. Like, he responds with compassion. He says, uh, in a like, 
Well, yeah, he responds in, in compassion. It's like Abraham is like impatient, and, and God responds by being patient. And in Abraham's frustration, uh, God is reaffirming. And in Abraham's anger, like God decides to show him grace. And he goes on to remind Abraham of the promise that he made him. And he even takes it a step further. He says, like, I'm going to give you a son. Not only that, but you will have many descendants. Like, you're not just going to have one. And God is showing Abram that he isn't, this isn't just about the two of them. Like, the, the journey that they're in on, like, it's going to affect billions of people. And I think, like, something clicks here for Abraham because it says he believes God. Like, uh, Jesus in John 8, he, he's uh, telling the Jews, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced in the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Like Abram, like is completely incapable, but he trusts that God is fully capable, and it's it's credited to him as righteousness. Is what it says. All right, so here's where things get like weird and awesome. Um, verse nine says, "The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon." Abraham brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Like, the thick and dreadful darkness, like, that's how you know in the Bible, like, when things are about to get real. Um, Yeah, it's like the animal slaughtering bit, like, what's going on there, right? Um, I think, like, when I first read this, I was just like, what? Like, everything in Genesis up until this point has been a little straight. It's been pretty straightforward. Like, but you don't see this part in, like, the children's version of the Bible, right? But this wouldn't have been, like, as weird to Abram at the time. So, like, what, uh, what's being described here is actually a pretty common practice in Canaanite culture. Historical texts show a similar events. And uh, so it was like when, when two kings were going to make an agreement or they were going to make a pact or whatever... Uh, so they would perform an oath to each other. And so they would, they would kill these animals and they would divide them into two and they'd create like this bloody like aisle. And then one by one, they would walk down the aisle to, uh, one after the other or, or sometimes together. And what it was signifying, what they were saying was, if I don't hold up to my end of the deal, if I don't keep my word, may this be done to me. And then the other one would go and he'd say, if I don't keep my word, if I don't hold up to my end of the deal, May this be done to me, to me. So Abraham basically is about to make a blood oath with God, which is, to me sounds like the most terrifying thing. Um, yeah, in, uh, in verse 17 it continues. It says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cabanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So it's really important that we remember those names. Um, so a couple things to clear up. So like that smoking fire pot and torch, like uh, without getting too much into it, basically that's God. So those were like uh, popular like religious symbols in Mesopotamian culture. It's also kind of similar language to what we then see later when God is up on Sinai. Um, so when it when it says like the smoking fireport and uh, fire pot and torch come down like and they walk down the or they go down the line or whatever, it's like that's God. He's going down the line. 
But where's Abram? He's asleep, right? Like it says that like God put, or like it says that Abram fell into a deep sleep, which is basically the exact same language as like in Genesis uh, 2 when God puts Adam to sleep when he like takes a rib and then makes it into Eve or whatever. So like it's insinuated here that like God has put Abram to sleep, right? Like Abram was just beating away birds with a broomstick trying to like preserve this bloody animal isle so he can make this deal with like the king of the universe. And then he falls asleep, like that doesn't seem uh, like he was just tired, right? Um, it seems like God has caused him to fall asleep. And it says God walks down the line by himself. And so what he's saying there is, Abram, if I don't keep my promise here, may this be done to me. And if you don't hold up to your end of the deal, when you and your descendants screw up, when they lose faith, when they're disobedient, and they go their own way, like, then may this be done to me. See, like, he's taking both sides of the deal here. Like, this is saying, like, salvation and forgiveness and grace, like, that's all dependent on God. And this is what makes Christianity unlike any other religion. Like, I think it's become increasingly popular to view all religions as, like, basically the same thing. Like, like God is at, like, the top of the mountain, and we're at the bottom of the mountain, and there's, like, a lot of different ways up the mountain, and you may take one path, and I might take another path, but, like, in the end, we're all going to end up at the same place, right? And I think, like, yeah, so it's like we get to God by, like, being good people or doing good things or, or just, like, having good karma. Um, yeah. And I think, like, that view of God and religion, it, like, sounds nice on the surface because it's very inclusive. Um, but what the Bible is saying here is that, like, if God is on a mountain and we're at the base, like, that the mountain is infinitely high and it's steep and we are infinitely incapable of making it anywhere near the top. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to get to God, like you're not going to get there. We cannot get to God. And what makes Christianity different is that God comes down to us. Like he comes down the mountain. We don't pursue God like he's pursued us. We don't find God, he's found us. Like Abraham didn't go to God and say, send me. Like God just said to Abraham, like go. So the moral of the story then is not just be faithful like Abraham. Like, it's that God is faithful. The point is not to be like Abraham. Like, we are Abram in this story. Like, and in none of the good ways. We are utterly incapable of being faithful. Like, Genesis 8 uh, says, Every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Psalms 14 says, All have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3 says, there is no one righteous and not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. 2 Corinthians says, we are spiritually blind. And Romans 6 says, we are slaves to sin. Romans 8 says, our minds are hostile to God. Yeah, and Jesus in, in John 6, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. So if life is dependent on our ability to be faithful in this, in this deal, like, then we're dead where we stand. See, like, Abram is not the hero of this story. God is the one who invited in Abraham into a relationship with him. And, yeah, Abraham's, like, he's told some people about God, and he's had some moments of faith. Like, he's, he's definitely screwed up as well, though. But he's not the hero of his own story here. Like, God is. God is the one who's doing all the work. Everything is dependent on him. Do you remember that initial, the initial calling he made to him and the promise he made to him? He says, I will. Like, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. 
I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. And that day, like when God walked down the aisle alone, he was declaring that he was the one who was going to be faithful in that. And he is. like Ultimately, he's going to be the one who's going to take the punishment for our unfaithfulness. So, yeah. And making this covenant with Abraham, like, and then walking down the aisle by himself, like he's showing Abraham a glimpse of a time when a man from a small town that nobody has ever heard of, a descendant of his, like he's going to leave his family and he's going to go tell people about God and he's going to be a blessing to all those who bless him. And yeah, he's saying, hey, Abram, there's a day that's coming when a dreadful darkness is going to come over the world again. And the Son of God is going to be nailed to a cross and Jesus is going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God's wrath for the sins of all of mankind is going to be poured out on him. He's going to be cut off from life as a payment for the penalty of the unfaithfulness of mankind. See, like, what's going on here? That's the gospel. Like, this is what the story is about. It's about God's faithfulness. So that this should cause us to respond with, like, thankfulness and gratitude and, and humility and just, like, a profound desire to, like, give our entire lives back to the one who gave everything for us. Like, God is doing something big and he's, he's calling us by name. Like, you and I are, we're Abraham in this story. Like, we come from a country of people who are hell-bent on making a name for ourselves, right? Like, happy Fourth of July. Like, we put our diplomas up on our wall. We identify ourselves by our jobs and our employers. Like, we strive to just, like, continue to climb the ladder in every area of our life. Like, yeah, we meticulously filter our lives through social media, like, so as to only present, like, the most positive version of ourselves. Like, like it's so easy to just get wrapped up in, like, needing to make a name for ourselves. Like, I have my own website and branding, right? Like, if that's not like an example of making a name for ourselves, I don't know what is. Yeah. But like, what God is saying here is like, you don't have to make a name for yourself. Like, if you know Jesus and you've made him like the leader of your life, like, you already have a name. And it's security and it's belonging and it's a relationship with a perfect heavenly father and it's, it's being declared righteous by the creator and the judge of the universe. It's a purpose to something that's bigger than yourselves. Like, you already have a name. You don't need to spend your whole life trying to set yourself apart. You don't need to make significance because you have significance, right? Like, it's been freely given to you by Jesus. So, we can rejoice knowing that God is faithful, like, that he keeps his promises and that he's the one who's in control. Like, he's the one who's doing all the work. He's the one that's running the show. Like, he's going to make his glory known regardless of what anyone says or what anyone thinks or what anyone does, like, he's completely capable of accomplishing his entire mission without anybody, right? But he's invited us to be a part of that anyways. Like, Abraham shouldn't have been picked. There's no reason Abraham should have been picked. And I shouldn't have been picked either, and neither should you have been. But we were. Like, God picked us, and he's called us. He's saying go, and he doesn't need us, but he's calling us anyway. Yeah, so I guess, like, my prayer for us is just that, like, yeah, that, like, the gospel would cause us just to respond with, like, yeah, just with a faithfulness um, and uh, just, like, a deep-seated desire to, to, like, yeah, to pursue God in every area of our lives, to just give ourselves entirely back to the one who's given everything to us. Yeah, I just, like, pray that, like, we wouldn't miss what God is doing here because we're so concerned about making our own name and, and just passing up this this name that's, like, so much better than anything we could ever do for ourselves. So let's pray. Yeah, God, thank you that, uh, 
Yeah, that like you pursue us above above our re- rejection, above our rebellion. Yeah. I'm just like so uh so grateful that like yeah, that like you are the one who who upholds your end of the deal always. Like you're the one who who gives us security and belonging. You're the one who who does it all. Like yeah, just like I'm just so thankful that you you keep your promises, that you keep your word, that like we can trust you and yeah, I just pray that you give us like hearts of gratitude and humility and yeah, that we would just like respond to your faithfulness with a deep-seated desire to pursue you just in every area of our lives. Amen.